Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's time for Mortgage Matters. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. We got the uh, the damn Podestos here, but the damn Podesto is uh, the light version. Yeah, it's like 80%. Not, <laughs> not feeling great, but a trooper nonetheless. Show must go on, Jason. Show That's must right. go on. Well, it's only the second episode <laughs> of the new year here, so if you, um, you know, you don't want to call off on this one, kind of, then you missed half of them in the year. <laughs> he's right sick out and of he's got gate. a headphone emergency again too. It's like early All baseball right. season, you know, when your club can be batting a thousand. <laughs> right now, the club's batting a thousand. Maybe not enough at-bats to do the true averages. But. What do they call that? Small sample size? Right. Yeah. Well, let me go get down some headphones. Hey, for my angels, and oftentimes your athletics, those are some of the highest winning percentages of the year. Over 500. Very true. Below 500. <laughs> Is it baseball season yet, by the way? Getting close. I'm really looking forward Getting to closer. that. closer. I saw a thing on the internet the other day that said there's basically two seasons winter and baseball season uh i'm looking forward to baseball season so how'd the uh how'd the house fare through the rain you guys wash away no we were good did it rain like a foot at your house it rained a lot yeah it rained a lot i hear there were maybe some problems in the in the new pad my house is underwater (laughs) that's what i heard the um Effectively, the it rained so hard, so fast, and so long that my property is a, a swamp, I think. The whole thing is, I mean, there's still standing water on top of the dirt at my house, which has my um, septic tank and leach field right. submerged <laughs> in water. So nice. my son, my 14-year-old son, he's a freshman in high school, so he's... Um, doesn't have a lot of patience or tolerance <laughs> for like those annoyances that would keep you from being able to like, you know, shower and mm-hmm. use a toilet and things like this. And he's so, the only one that's really bothered by that. Well, no, everybody's bothered, but he just <laughs> he he can't seem to come to grips with it. He's like, Can't you do something? Like just figure it out. And I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna today I was actually planning on reading a few case studies about how to drain the earth (laughs) (laughs) i don't don't know what to do man well lopez has come up a lot everything's come up a lot lakes have come up a lot yeah 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 you were disappointed you were gonna Uh, have your pool at the new house well now you got got one one. (laughs) too bad it's above a septic tank but anyway I called the, <laughs> interestingly enough, I, I feel like that's the most reasonable answer for why the stuff's not functioning like it should. And I, um, so I went out into the yard and I removed the little inspection caps where you can like look down and, you know, to the leach field to see that everything's cool. And um, <laughs> I, I got to cool. admit, I don't have a lot of experience with those, but I'm pretty sure when you pull the cap off and water comes out right there, <laughs> it's not a good thing. Probably not. 
So I called the company that just did the inspection and I'm like, hey, something's wrong here. And um, the uh, the guy's like, yeah, when water is in there, it's not a good thing. He told me people in Santa Margarita. So I'm not the only person with this problem, by the way. There's a lot of North County houses that are experiencing something similar. But he said in um, Santa Margarita, there was a guy that wanted it pumped. He said, I don't care if it's the groundwater. I want it pumped. And so he pumped it, pumped out this guy's septic system, and then he has to go dump the truck. And then he comes back, and it was full again. So he went through a cycle of pumping this guy's septic system for like an eight-hour so evidently it's something that you just, you know, can't quite keep up with. But uh, so, yeah, I laughed at my wife. I said, we prayed for rain. So <laughs> there you go. Everything's really nice and green outside. It's very green. <laughs> yeah. No. And today's blue skies are really something pretty, too. The North County was still like inundated with a kind of a fog blanket once we popped over the top of the grade it sure is pretty so yeah just toughen that out and doing an experiment here on how long it takes for that to drain and go back to normal before it starts raining again on what seems like wednesday supposed to rain again wednesday for like another week so very very exciting um well you guys working out the Wi-Fi thing? Yeah, we're trying to work it? out. We're trying to figure it out, and I think I gave him the password to the old building. Yeah. Oh. I think it's. I think it's nine three nine three nine three nine three. Yeah, something like that. Because KZOZ ninety three three. Uh, yeah. Try that. Yeah. I think, I think so. It's like five. That's <laughs> our sister station, KZOZ, to get a plug in for them. So I think. Gosh darn it. Um. Yeah, we're, we're good. Okay, out. we're good. See, we'll now everybody knows the Wi-Fi password for KZOZ. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you still have to come. That's why I think uh, it's funny that they uh, don't just put it up on the wall. Yeah. You're still going to have to come here to use the Wi-Fi. Yeah, well, that's true. That seems. And I, well, okay. So there's probably some listeners of this fine program that are wherever they are without internet are now going to be mm. going, sweet, we'll go to the parking lot. Yeah, we'll hit it. Pull yeah. in. There it is. Hijack some internet. Yeah. yeah. Did you spend any time this week on the the old telly watching uh, any of the congressional hearings? You know, it's on. So, yeah. Kind of noise. I guess it's in the background. Yeah. It's on. It's interesting. A couple weeks ago, Dan, you talked a little <laughs> bit about Ben Carson. Yeah, he's going to be our new HUD secretary. At least that's the... Sounds like he's going to get yeah. confirmed. Um, there was a. I read a few interesting pieces about that this week, though. Um, thought maybe it might be relevant to discuss here on Mortgage Matters. Yeah. What do you think about that? Let's do it. I want to start with um, an excerpt from his written testimony, more of a paraphrasing from his written testimony. He said, in his written testimony, Ben Carson said, and this is the quote right here, banks loathe to participate in low down payment programs through FHA for fear of getting sued if borrowers default. 
Do you agree with that statement right there? That what? Banks loathe to participate in low down payment programs like FHA for fear of being sued if borrowers default. <laughs> I read that sentence and I go, uh, I don't think so, actually. Um, banks kind of make double on doing yeah. FHA loans. In fact, a lot of recent research over the last couple of years has suggested that banks may even be steering people into FHA loan programs. Yeah, you um, brought in some interesting stats last year. Yeah. That it was disproportionately high percentage of FHA loans offered by banks. If you went versus, into a bank. Versus a mortgage, you know, a privately owned mortgage broker or banker. Right. And um, so this will be a good little segment to talk a little bit about FHA here because there's been some updates to FHA. And, and I'm sorry, the other part of it was, so we were kind of talking about they can make a lot of money on the front end originating those loans in the event of default on the back end. Um, is there, there some additional liability with FHA than any other program? Or To my knowledge, no. And one of the reasons that the FHA loan is so inexpensive in terms of interest rate is because it's so um, heavy in the mortgage insurance. And wouldn't that protect the bank against that default? I mean, that's the whole point of it, right? Right. So is there any liability to where if a borrower defaults, someone could sue the bank? Only if it proved to be, because FHA does a pretty good job of tracking fraud. If you are sure. committing fraud or if you have, they keep a scorecard too. Like you can lose your FHA eligibility if the FHA business you're generating has high defaults, like higher than what's customary. Because yeah. let's face it, this is a program that's geared at increasing home ownership to people with less than perfect credit, yeah. low down payments. Sometimes the combination of both are, as we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show, no down payment coming from the borrower whatsoever who also has credit challenges. Um, there's going to be higher than a average loan program default rates in that program anyway. Um, but no, to my knowledge, no. And the, the beauty of it being um, insured, because the other, because all the conventional loans like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans, those loans are guaranteed. There's a difference between guaranteed and insured. And insured, these are true government loans being insured by, I mean, through HUD and ultimately going into these Ginny Mae securities. These are, I mean, they're almost risk-free for the bank that originates. So um, not to say that uh, you suggested a couple of weeks ago that Ben Carson might not be perfectly in the know about um, how to be HUD secretary um, but that's kind of interesting. He said, we need to make sure HUD and FHA are fulfilling their missions to help people build up an asset like a home, which will help them climb up the rung of the economic ladder. We continue to expect the Trump administration to shift the enforcement paradigm related to False Claims Act, which would lessen lingering legal liability concerns for FHA lenders. That's kind of an interesting mix of statements there. Um, you want to continue to advance the program to help people that are basically um, grasping here to climb out of their current situation. At the same time, you don't uh, you don't want to swamp the government with additional liability. During his testimony this week, one of the things he um, he said was that so. Oh, coming out in pieces. This week we learned that HUD reduced the mortgage insurance premium. Uh, everybody probably saw this, but um, the monthly mortgage insurance premium for an FHA loan 
is basically 0.85% of the current loan amount divided by 12. They've dropped that now to 0.6. The significant thing about this is, is that um, when you compare a low down payment loan like FHA, 3.5% compared to a conventional loan of 3% down, the FHA loan, because it's insured in the government program, has a lower rate, but it has um, a higher mortgage insurance rate. So then you take the conventional loan for a borrower with good credit. They're going to have a higher interest rate, but a lower mortgage insurance rate. Those payments come out bizarrely similar. Okay. But with this new tweak that HUD made last week, now that they've cut their monthly mortgage insurance, now you're getting the benefit of the lower rate and the lower mortgage insurance. Those payments don't compare anymore. It's basically 25 basis points cheaper than the conventional loan. This can this is expected on average nationally to affect the average homeowner's mortgage insurance by, by $200 a month. Wow. That's a pretty big change. So everything I just told you, he says banks don't want to participate in FHA because of fear of lawsuits. Um, and then here's one of the statements that he made during um, his interview he basically went on to say that he thought the timing of this reduction in the mortgage interest rate was um, peculiar because it would expose the government and taxpayer to greater liability of losses where the the incoming administration would look to um, limit those sort of um, taxpayer exposures by way of risky loan programs. So you're sort of talking in circles here around whether or not, like, can you decide, is this program good and safe and we want to promote it? Or is it risky and unsafe and we want to not promote it? And then at the same time, I think you totally missed the boat on whether or not banks like to do FHA. Because from a lender standpoint, it's relatively risk-free and very high profit. Well, and there's... I feel like there's still a contradiction with this idea that it's a I, – everything I've heard is that with the new administration, there's a desire to reduce regulation, a desire to get banks to um, make more home loans, which to me implies that they're going to be – they're willing to entertain riskier loan programs. Sure. I mean, if you're but trying I to think make the, more home loans, you can't just force people to buy homes. But I think the, the caveat stuff. is, is that because it's for profit and there's risk involved, that this should be a private enterprise. And if you're going to, as you look at making the program attractive or not by way of pricing or dumbing down standards, however it is you want to figure out what you're going to do with it, there's, there's just this constant little fly in the ointment here that will wait every time you do that you make it more attractive you make it more affordable you lower the standards you lessen the credit requirements you lower the down payment requirements all of these things you basically because who's at risk for this it's the taxpayer this is it's under hud and we we pay for this historically fha under hud has been Budget neutral because they charge an upfront mortgage insurance premium and then a monthly mortgage insurance premium. It has enough of that mortgage insurance to cover the losses that occur. But there was times during this last downturn where 
the taxpayer was by way of, you know, TARP type of funds bailing out FHA due to their lack of liquidity and insolvency issues. Um, it's been a while now since they've taken that money. We have new budgetary requirements in place where they have uh, 2% reserves ratio now, which they've exceeded. And because they're sitting on a pile of cash, that's why this pressure has come to reduce the premiums. This is basically saying, well, if, if it's operating at a surplus, cut back the amount of income, the revenue that's being generated so that you can throw a bigger net in terms of being able to help people with that lower premium, creating additional affordability. It's all kind of a strange catch-22, um, and it kind of makes you wonder, are you, like, you're one foot in, one foot out. What do you want to do? Do you want to promote this program, make it affordable, perhaps even make it um, in the marketplace the standout, bizarrely affordable option that everybody goes, well, you have no choice. you got to do FHA. Or do you want to make it something where you sort of start to price yourself away from it a little bit, saying, you know what, it's risk, it exposes us, we don't want to be so focused in it. The share of FHA loans in the market since the um, recession began in, where do you want to call it, 2007? Sure. They were pretty, FHA was almost irrelevant in 2006. And today, (laughs) it's a significant part of the market. So kind of interesting. Amongst all of that boring stuff, when I was watching and reading a lot of the Ben Carson stuff, I'm sitting there just going, is anybody else catching on to the fact that we're just talking in circles about what the future of HUD and FHA is to be? But I, I didn't see any of the people that were, were grilling them or discussing this weren't seeming to have caught on to that. Um, so I don't know. Sometime they'll invite some people like us that understand these things to come and be on it, at least be on some of the, you know, advisory committees that help shape the interview questions at a minimum. I think Ben Carson's going to be a good choice for that, actually. I think he's a fine choice. Mm-hmm. When we talked about it um, earlier, you know, I mean, I don't know who the better pick is, to be frank with you. Um, the people that are in the mortgage business now, when you go through and look at any of the top of the banks or the the interim people at Fannie or Freddie or the people that have stepped down, whoever all these people are, mm-hmm. I don't know that there's any better decision. I mean, I, without getting into a huge political conversation, I feel this way kind of about all these cabinet picks as they are. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this guy's picking a bunch of rich people and, you know, people from business appointing people from Goldman Sachs and things like this. Um, the reality is, is that I think it's kind of a small cast of people that could do this anyway. Yeah. Most of these jobs, I think it's probably a pretty small cast of people and it'd be hard to find somebody that's grown up in the financials that hasn't worked for one of the top banks, you know? So I don't know. Interestingly enough, um, it, it's a, you, there'll be plenty of naysayers, plenty of people in support. I mean, we, we gained a phone call on our brief discussion about this before of somebody saying, Hey, I think the guy is a good pick. Um, so we'll see, I guess only time will tell. Yeah. I'll go well, on record saying, I think he's perfectly unqualified. <laughs> okay. I think then we have a disagreement plenty over of here. other people who've actually got experience in this realm <laughs> that could have been nominated. I, I don't quite get it. It's one of those things where I think a promise was made long ago, and this is the way to fulfill a promise of finding a cabinet post. Just also happens to be in the field of uh, much of Donald Trump's business, um, being real estate. 
What is the what does the Secretary of HUD do? You ask. Funny you should ask. Um, the Department of Housing and Urban Development. This is what HUD stands for. Is responsible for programs concerned with the nation's housing needs, fair housing opportunities, improvement and development of the nation's communities. Responsibilities ranging from ensuring low down payment mortgages, administering rental assistance for low income homeowners. Um, no oversight to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or the agencies that generate 95% of the loans in the country. Um, and it doesn't directly oversee lenders like us. I mean, there's some data that we're required to provide, um, but it, we don't have direct oversight by HUD unless we electively choose to become a HUD approved lender. Um, in any way, um, you know, there's kind of a, a myriad of things that HUD does, and um, some of them I think he probably is pretty good. Like the like the caller a couple weeks ago pointed out that growing up in, you know, the suburbs of Chicago, I, wherever he's from, one of the inner cities, that in living in public housing and thing, he probably does have a pretty good idea and experience of things that deal with fair housing and affordable housing and low-income housing, those things, I think, he probably does have a pretty good insight to some of that stuff. Is he the very best pick out of this entire nation for the job? Hard to say, but uh, your name wasn't on that list. No, you didn't. Wasn't. You didn't jump on to begin <laughs> helping the election of you know the would-be president soon right. enough. And interestingly enough, when he was first, what was the first offering? The the news latched on to Ben Carson was being vetted for... It was another cabinet post, and he s declined it because he wasn't comfortable with working in bureaucracy. He'd never done it before and wasn't comfortable with it. it was and then like, shortly thereafter, <laughs> the secretary the of HUD... Bureaucracy. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Copy. Anyway. <laughs> uh, we're getting off track. Let's do a commercial break. We'll regroup. That was housing related, though. That HUD's housing. HUD does have a pretty big amount to do with uh, what we do. Um, so, anyway, commercial break time, guys. We'll be back in a couple minutes for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543 8830 or 800 549 5832. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KBEC. As mortgage experts, we can help you refinance your home or investment property. We can lower your rate, shorten your term, or get rid of your mortgage insurance. Don't miss the opportunity to improve your financial situation. Call Central Coast Lending today. Buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Give yourself the best possible chance to buy your dream home with our 21-day close. We get you fully pre-approved before you find your house so you can write a shorter, easier offer and beat out the competition. It's time for you to be the offer that gets accepted. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-8830. 
Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018 NMLS number 328358. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Is there like a yeah, part of this song coming that life is yeah, a life highway? It's gonna be a highway here really soon. <laughs> <laughs> got it. There we that are. was like 42 <laughs> seconds in. That's all right. We got it. We're talking over it. We're good. Jason likes his hook to happen a little earlier. Okay, yeah. I'll get the hook in a little bit earlier. <laughs> yeah, no, I need I me. need you to drop the beat like within <laughs> 10 seconds. Okay. There we are. Anyway. Yeah. There was one more um, article here that I I wanted to discuss before we moved on from this Ben Carson, HUD secretary. Um, I read an article that was four takeaways from Ben Carson um, from his um, confirmation hearing. One of them basically... I won't go through all of this, but um, regulatory repeal will play a big role. Um, basically, I mean, it speaks for itself. They're going to look at cutting back an awful lot of regulation. Um, it sounds like the housing industry, which is arguably at its highest point now in the history ever, right? I mean, in- highest point value wise. Yeah, and and I think, but also, um, yeah, value-wise and on the demand side, it seems like, I mean, we're out of whack. doesn't seem to be letting off anytime soon. Um, You brought up a point during the break. Could Trump's real estate interest cause issues for Carson? Um, That's kind of interesting. Um, Without without getting into how much direct or in, indirect control that President Trump might have over his uh, HUD secretary pick. Because he's going to, as a pick, right, you're going to have contact and control over that person anyway. It's basically an appointment. Yeah, they have to be confirmed. But um, this, to me, doesn't actually register much that it's actually Ben Carson. Um, The issue would have been any HUD secretary. The guy that's taking the presidency is a real estate mogul. Right. So there's going to be concern no matter who it is. Correct. Um, And I think that that's a lot of the, um, a lot of the concern 
around there. I mean, there was questions like, can you assure me that not one taxpayer dollar will go to benefit the interests of Trump type of things um, with the direction under HUD? And, um, you know, I, I really do think that uh, in terms of morals and values, that's a part, whether or not you believe all of Ben Carson, um, he seems to me that he's a very, he holds himself to a very high moral standard. Um, and, you know, his religion has something ad additionally to do with that. But um, I, I think that people have generally accepted that he's probably going to be one of the best chances of having kind of a separation there between the president's would-be special interests and um, the policy. Um, HUD is a $48 billion agency with 8,000 employees. That's crazy, huh? The 65-year-old retired neurosurgeon is about to manage an agency with 8,000 employees. That's that's pretty wild. Um, and that those are the kind of things that make me think that it'll be more of a a broader, bigger brushstroke sort of management from above of a real indicative approach to what HUD is supposed to be doing. But, um, you know, maybe it... It gets cut down and cut out, get rid of a lot of employees, reduce the budgetary size of HUD, reduce some of the regulatory efforts, uh, reduce the the part I'm unclear on, but limit some of the, the bank's exposures to their willingness to make some of these programs, all that stuff. Um, it's a big agency. It's a big deal. Uh, and um, it doesn't seem, at least to me, all of these appointments are very big deals. This one seems like a very, very big deal. Um, so. well, it definitely hits close to home for for our business. Yeah, and, and maybe because we speak this estate. language fluently. Um, but at the same time, I mean, look, that <clears throat> during the whole recession, all we ever talked about was basically housing and jobs. Jobs and housing. Try to get them both. <laughs> Both to snuff, you know, and um, so arguably the housing component, um, it's a big deal to us. I think it's a big deal to everybody. So uh, that being said, it, it looks like um, it looks like Ben Carson's likely to be confirmed. So there you go. Cue the deregulation. All right. As promised, we can really move on from that now. Open my other notes back up. <laughs> I had whole pages of notes on just the Ben Carson thing, I guess, because I thought it was uh, important. Well, we'll see how it goes here in the next few months, that's for sure. So. There's going to be a lot of seeing how it goes, isn't there? <laughs> That's for sure. yeah. Yeah. there's gonna be a lot of seeing how it goes yeah. um oh let's see here there's also wall street journal ran an article this week about um potential you know of what might happen with fannie mae and freddie mac under similar type of sentiment of wanting to release Reduce taxpayer exposure, uh, reduce government involvement in these programs and sort of um, 
return them to the private enterprise they were intended to be. Um, so that'll be interesting. I, I hope that all these guys really recognize how significant the 30-year fixed mortgage is in our housing market. But we'll see. I mean, I just can only remain optimistic at this point. There's a... Did the Dow ever break the 20,000 this week? Did you see? No, but the... Uh... The, was it the Nasdaq set a record yesterday? Yeah, the Nasdaq set a record, fifty-five, seventy-four, twenty-six points in one day. Hmm. We got some reads about December producer price index. That's always exciting. Producer prices grew 0.3 percent. For those that don't eat or drink, they grew 0.2 percent. Was basically right as expected. Um, December retail sales, I had kind of expected would be down a little bit. December retail sales uh, came out at plus 0.6%, which was a little bit lower than expected, um, but kind of really a non-event. Initial jobless claims for the week were benign, 247,000 initial jobless claims, so still running at what I would consider kind of historical lows. Things are just chipping away. I wanted to mention the 10-year Treasury note a little bit. Yeah. I, I think that that for people who are out there in the middle of buying a home or thinking about refinancing, you know, we had a number of customers who came to us in late December and wanted to start a refinance. Some of them took it upon themselves to decide when to lock their rate. Some relied on a loan officer. Long story short, some people, whether it was with our company or other companies, didn't lock their rate for whatever reason, and then rates moved, right? So in the middle of a refi, you got your paperwork going, you decide, you know, you think that, you know, waiting is the best strategy, and rates move against you, and it turns out you've made it you may have made a bad decision. So now there's some people hanging on. Well, I'll just wait around. You know, these rates are, you know, it's volatile. Maybe they'll fall back down. Well, this week what we found was in that 10-year treasury note, which, yes, it's not a mortgage rate, but it's closely aligned. It's the benchmark. We call it the benchmark um, interest rate because it's so closely tied to the the path of that 30-year fixed mortgage. Um, we found that that 10-year treasury note it's eased the last, what, two weeks maybe after four or five, six weeks of, of yesterday. The headlines rising. I brought in on the 10 year yesterday was a six week low, six week low. OK, so it's been, you know, basically since the election, it's been um, moving its way up. And then the last couple of weeks, it's been easing its way back down. Basically, since the new year, we've run into the same yield on the low side. So we've kind of found a resistance point. And for those of you who don't speak the economic language too well, resistance just means that there's there's something in the markets that's preventing this yield from dropping below um, the 2.34% figure. So that's kind of the, the low point where we're at right now. On Friday, the 10-year note closed at 2.41, seven basis points higher than the the low watermark, if you will, 
um, the recent low watermark with this 10-year Treasury note. So if you're in, my point to you is that if you're currently involved in refinancing or buying and you haven't locked in an interest rate, you're kind of near a low point of a range that we're in right now. Might be a good time unless... There's some belief, some feeling maybe you have that there's the gambler in me. Something's going to drop. But. The gambler in me wants to point out uh, what could be some opportunity to exercise a little staying power and just keep the weight on. Um, when we post the election, um, that was where I found this cool little slider. So I'm trying to find that that fun spot November 4th. 1.77% on the 10-year. And then after the election, it starts, it's like November 14th, 10 days later, 2.263. Okay, that's a pretty big pop right there. Basically a half a point in a 10-day period. That was the most shocking component to the move right there. Um, after that, uh, when you jump forward, you know, 10 days later, the yields at, you know, 2.35, by December 1st, it makes it to 2.45. Then you get up to December 15th, it's 2.6. That was the high water mark, 2.6. Um, and since then, it's been, I don't want to say a steady decline, but more down days than not. And um, so, yeah, the gambler in me wants to say, well, how long can that go on for? Um, you know, so much of that movement that happened in that 10-day period right after the election was all this, oh, my goodness, the markets had anticipated a Clinton presidency. We knew what that meant. It basically meant, for the most part, four more years of the same policies that were similar Guidance that was similar, um, the all of the you know, in as much as there is likelihood that even the Fed chair would remain after 2018, all these things we thought if that happens, which the polls told everybody was really likely to happen, um, we we knew what that meant, and then we learned that night of the election that we have actually. That didn't happen. The other guy won. And this has a whole host of concerns um, that, right or wrong, are just the total counter to everything that we were expecting and anticipating. And I think, as is the case, most of these, um, the markets moved in a way that sort of went um, almost worst case scenario. Because we said, oh, well, um, these the drop in taxes, the increased GDP, the lack of interest in having somebody like Yellen stick around and the deregulation and all of these different things are likely to lead to, you know, growth and inflation. And so um, whether you could make any of that stuff sound positive, it always had this sort of negative, I think, negative connotation to it of, well, we're basically going to flip the economy on its head, and these are just likely to lead to much higher rates and uh, brace yourself for it. 
And now I feel like it's been a little bit of time. We've had a little bit of, um, really, I should say a lot more clarity. If you've been following the cabinet appointments, a lot of the cabinet appointments have had different ideals than those that Trump kind of campaigned on. And we're actually seeing, um, dare I say, some more reasonable stance on things about like intelligence and Russia and trade and things like this about the cabinet picks are not just gung-ho advancing that agenda of, you know, the kind of Wild West that it seemed like he campaigned on. And I think for all those reasons is why we're seeing the market sort of settle back down a little bit. We've had some time, a little bit more indication of what's happening, um, who some of these people are. Granted, they haven't all been confirmed yet, but um, we're beginning to see what the shape of it looks like. And it seems, I think, less a little bit less scary so your suggestion, your suggestion is that the move in the market after the election was a reaction or an overreaction to the surprise, mm-hmm. and that now that now that we've had some time to let absorbed this, it yeah. and we're getting used to it, that it's going to ease back down. You believe even lower than the levels we see today. I do, and I because I actually really think that once. I mean, you're six days away from the um, swearing in now, and guess what's going to happen by next Friday? I don't know. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing is going to happen. You know what's going to happen? U-Haul is going to pull away from the White House, and a new U-Haul is going to pull up, and some different people are going to start taking places. And are they going to be able to shift policy and shape things and and move towards the new agenda? They are. Is that going to happen overnight? It's not. Most of these things are going to take months or maybe years to actually get traction and be implemented. And I think that the difference between now and when we see the real needle move, we see what the speculative needle moved. But when we see the real needle move, I think that's far enough down the road that we're going to have to give back some of this knee-jerk overreaction to the surprise. Um, I slightly different take on it, I guess, is that I, I think it's less of an overreaction than a calculated move, actually. I think that, you know, while it wasn't expected, it was certainly a possibility. There's two candidates running. You know, it's never a landslide one way or the other. Right. So there's a real possibility that either person could wind up as the president-elect. Turns out it's Trump. And there's a playbook for that. All these traders had their playbook. Yeah, it was tucked away because it wasn't expected, but they know where it is. They can go dig it out real quick. They dug it out. They made their moves. That's why in 10 days you see the market react. Okay, we got to reset where we're at here in this market because it's not going to be more of the same it's going to be different and we need the market needs to behave differently so i think there was a there was a reaction i won't i won't i'm reluctant to call it an overreaction i think the correction that we've seen in the last two weeks is the correction and i think now we're in a range i i think that sure unless something shifts policy wise that you know and yeah there is still some uncertainty because we do have differing opinions of cabinet picks versus what the president said or campaigned on president elect um and i i think that there's still that uncertainty around that around a lot of the policies so there could you know 
if if there's some revelation, if something comes to light, if we misunderstood something and that and that becomes clearer, then you might see some more market movement. But until that happens, I think we're kind of where I think the market's adjusted to the new reality and now we're kind of where we are. I've seen that already with the stock market. We saw the stocks jump up, what, 1,800 points in a couple of weeks. And now it's it's kind of here. You know, We're in this 19,500 to 20,000 range in the Dow. We're in this you know, 2.5 to 2.34 range in the 10-year Treasury yield. Things have definitely cooled down as far as the volatility in the last couple of weeks. Sure. So... I, that's my take on it. Only time will tell. Yeah. And going back to the, you started this topic. Let's go back and complete the thought. It's moved nicely. It's at a six week low. If you're in a transaction or felt like you began a transaction where then you got the rug pulled out from under you, because I mean, let's be perfectly clear about this. That was monumental movement in that market immediately. And it, then it didn't stop for weeks on end. Once it finally found its break point, it's been slowly trickling back down, you know, like the groundwater at my house. <laughs> um, and the bottom line is if you're if you think you missed your opportunity six weeks ago, your opportunity, it's not as good, but it's kind of back a little bit. It's probably worth reengaging. Um, I was going through this with one of the loan officers in the office this week. Uh, we were talking about a deal where it was interesting, the timing, the borrowers right before the election were holding out for something a little bit better. And then it popped. And then they went on vacation. And yeah. they said, well... Well, we're going to go on vacation. We're just going to kind of back burner this. When we get back, hopefully it'll be back to where it was, maybe even better. <laughs> and then they left, right? Um, they got back, and it wasn't any better. In fact, you know the story. It's been a heck of a lot worse. So I was having a conversation with this loan officer. I said, hey, let's revisit this. Things are um, coming back a little bit. There may be an opportunity to sort of, um, you know, where you just – draw somebody's attention back to it and say, hey, it's not what it was and it may never be, but you've already gotten some of it back and it might be a good time to have another look and maybe kind of reassess your game plan of hoping it gets better because um, it never got better from where you hoped and today it's moving in that direction. Again, it's not there, but you know, measure the motivation. Is this something you want to do or something you don't want to do? Um, and from that standpoint, it's a um, it's a great time to revisit those things. But also, if you're involved in a new transaction right now, it's probably a pretty good idea to lock. Whenever you hear me with that devil on my shoulder saying the gambler in me, yeah. I mean, I <laughs> I'm telling you. Um, that guy's right, like 47% of the time. Not enough. (laughs) Not enough. Um, But the reality is, is that to be fair with all of the clients is that when you're dealing in this environment where things have gone up for any number of reasons, um, I have these conversations with my clients of like, hey, look, you can lock um, and it could prove to be brilliant. if you lock and the market improves greatly, we have kind of a few options at our disposal. I mean, number one, this is the single, I, I like to tout this, 
Uh, I know there's other banks in town that that ask their loan officers to listen to our show. So those of you competing loan officers out there, plug your ears right now. Um, I sell loans to 50 different banks. And we don't like to make a practice of this, but if I lock your bank with market uh, with bank A, I consider that my hedge. <laughs> That's my worst case scenario. If the market radically improves, I'll just lock you with investor B or C or D or AA or BB because we're we got fifty. When you lock with like Wells Fargo, you just locked with Wells Fargo. You're you're done. They do have things they call a float down agreement where they can float your interest rate down. But what that means is that your interest rate got better by like a whole point in fee. And so then they'll split it with you and give you half of it. And it's basically, I think the float down policies, they can be nice kind of um, to make you feel a little bit better because the bottom line is that you're stuck and they recognize that you're, if you're, frustrated enough with your old out-of-market lock that you might just leave and come to a bank like mine, right? (laughs) So then they go, well, Dan, you have a 4% with a $10,000 fee. And yes, we know today if you went to Central Coast Lending, you could get 4% with no fee. However, if you stay with us, we'll drop our fee to (laughs) $5,000. And you go, well... I really only have two weeks left on this escrow, so I'd have to like really shake things up to make a move right now. So, you know, I know I'm basically still getting hosed, but thanks. I'll take it, right? But if you're in a refi or you're in a purchase where you've got a little bit of time, um, by all means, take a jump. Uh, The new lock with the new bank is typically going to be way better than your float down because the bank doesn't ask to hold half of it for their, you know, they're basically trying to minimize their losses. Um, So, yeah, anyway, it is a good time in the market. Um, The good news is we'll be in business in another another month, another two months, another three months. We'll be able to be having the the constant update to this discussion. But I actually, I do, there's a good part of me that thinks that we may actually see these things keep trending in that direction. Because I think once, once the inauguration happens and we realize we all wake up the next morning and everything's exactly the same, that... Yeah, there might be some shift in policy. There's some new faces and some new ideas, uh, but we have all the same old checks and balances, and um, the game of chess that's going to be played is going to be um, it's going to be slow to actually move the needle. Whereas you get a chance, uh, like we said a little bit ago, to 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 see what happens, and um, you know when do you expect to see what happens? Right away? (laughs) I'm not expecting to see anything right away. I remember when President Obama took office, um, there was, I think it was two years in his presidency before we saw the Bush tax plan sunsetting. So can Trump hop on in here and cut all the taxes effective this fiscal year that's going to change your paycheck tomorrow? I don't know the answer to that question. I suspect that's not what's going to happen. You know, the budgets are written, all these things are allocated. It's going to take time. And as we get through that season, that's when the real needle is going to move, not the speculative needle. 
So maybe it's just optimism on my part. I'd love one more refi boom. Wouldn't you? I always like refi booms. <laughs> that <laughs> opportunity. All those people that, um, I mean, heck, we <laughs> still getting phone calls of people that have a 5% mortgage. Yeah, it's pretty pretty wild. I've been thinking a lot about the purchase strategy going forward. Not necessarily for our business, but for, for homeowners. Just trying to, you know... Especially new homeowners, when they when they buy a home, you know the there's this excitement, there's this thought that I can you know grow a family here in this home, and it's the place. And then all of a sudden, a the toilets won't flush, and you start thinking, <laughs> God Almighty, what did I do? But I mean, looking forward, you're gonna. I I feel like we're on a course of rates rising for the foreseeable future. So I feel like when and you're in a difficult spot where it's hard to find the right home anymore. You know, there there's so much demand out there for housing that. When the right home pops up, you kind of just have to, you have to jump on it, hope your offer gets accepted, and then you got to take whatever interest rates available at that time because you're in a 30 day or 45 day window to close. So it's like, it's almost like you got to plan on two mortgage transactions. You know, <laughs> you got to one at the time that you find the right house for you and you buy it. And then keep your eye on those interest rates. And when it dips down, because that's kind of how markets go, right? The, the big trend might be, uh, you know, a gradual up in rates, but it's going to have bumps along the way and try to catch one of those low bumps. Try, try to catch it on the downswing to do a quick refi and lock yourself into the lowest rate you can for the time that you're going to be in that home. I don't know if that's realistic. It's something I've been thinking about, pondering. If the market cooperates, then you're stoked. Yeah. All right, guys, we got the top of the hour commercial break. We have a few minutes of commercials, and we'll be back for a whole other hour of Mortgage Matters. We hope that you'll stick around. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Train bound for nowhere. I met up with a gambler. We were both too tired to sleep, so we took turns of staring out the window at the darkness. The boredom overtook us, and he began to speak. He said, "Son, I've made a life out of reading people's faces and knowing what the cards were." By the way they held their eyes So if you don't mind my saying I can see you're out of aces For a taste of your whiskey I'll give you some advice So I handed him my bottle And he drank down my last swallow Then he bummed a cigarette And asked me for a Ah, you gotta love it. There's another song where, like, the, the, the hook, hook is way is in. So I know. It. Here, here it comes. Come on, Kenny. Just know when to hold up. All right. No point taken away. However, no win to run. You basically said you got to play them. <laughs> yeah. In this market, you got to play them. I'm I'm saying you hold them. Yeah. 
That was you described that as the devil on your shoulder, right? Right. Yeah. On on the upside, there's no sense in folding. Things are looking up. Things are heading in the right direction. All right. So shift gears a little bit. Yeah. It, um. This is the this is the segment now. You better move that microphone over close to your face here, bud. We got uh, <laughs> two fingers out. Two fingers out. Really close, ba- yeah. Really close. Get up on there, and you can pull the whole thing over to you, so you can pull it forward. There you there go. There we go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We got uh, Anthony Rodriguez, who's a loan officer at Central Coast Lending. Um, offices in the Atascadero office primarily. Um, it's nice to finally meet Anthony. Actually, I've I've texted him. I've called him. Oh yeah. I've emailed him. And it's oh, nice to meet uh, you finally. Yeah, you too, yeah. Jim. It's, uh, it's been a few years. I yeah. think that we've been dealing with this show back and forth. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, first timer over here, huh? First timer on Mortgage Matters. How you feel about that? I'm uh, pretty excited. I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how my voice sounds when I listen to the podcast later. It's gonna be, You don't want to listen. Yeah, I hear your voice on the podcast, and I go, that's, that's not what Jason sounds like in real life. Really? Yeah. That's encouraging. Yeah. Wait. In real life, I'm better, or real life, I'm worse? Six, one, half a dozen, the other. I'm more used to you in real life, so it sounds a little bit different. (laughs) I never understand why it comes out different. I know why it sounds different to me, right? Because you're hearing things like move through like the flesh and bone of your head. You know, you should listen to us on the 96.5 because we sound like real studs, actually. Did you make that one a little bit bassier and... Yeah, a little more, mm-hmm. a little more visceral. That's what I'm after. Yeah, we haven't really. Yeah, well, you can listen to us on 96.5 FM and 9:20 AM. There we are. <laughs> Get that little plug. plug in there, right? Well, and I'm particularly excited to have Anthony on the radio here today. He's been with Central Coast Lending for what? Five years. Five years. Yeah. Is that right? It yeah, was, about uh, right. Huh? August uh, 2011 is when I wow. came wow. up here. Yeah, so more than five years. Crazy. Seems like just yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Seems like just through the ranks. Huh? Seems like just yesterday we sat you down in that that chair in my office and we're explaining to you that there's a T in mortgage. You can't hear it, <laughs> right. but it's it's in there. The and first rule and if you're gonna do this, mortgage, right? That's right. And the second rule is you're gonna be asking realtors for business, and so you need to call them realtors and not realtors. <laughs> right. I heard a. Realtors I know say you did. that the other I day. I know you did. There's a couple of them that I work with regularly uh, that call themselves realtors. Yeah. And I go, oh, man, it's realtor. <sighs> I just want to There's no I there. in it. You're putting a whole other syllable in this word. Yeah. Anyway, um, fun times. But, yeah, Anthony's been with us for five years. Started out in the business um, by learning the processing side. Um, basically got... Fully through the op side of the business and is now um, a loan officer. I mean, what you've been a full time loan officer for what two years now? About a year and a half. Year and a half. Two years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right. It was about mid year, year and a half ago. That's right. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. It's been going well. Yeah. Enjoy it. It's a it's a nice change of pace. Um, the reason I bring up the history in working in the operation side of the business. That's where Dan and I came from, too. And it's one of those things where if you are the person cleaning up after the loan officers, <laughs> for all those, that's your job is to see 
how these people throw all of their documents into a folder and then sort of look to an ops person behind them to straighten out the mess, to make it work, to figure out, you know, what belongs and what doesn't and how you how you ultimately get this um, the the salesman's application to be a completed loan. It's a, it, can, it can be a pretty wild ride with a lot of loan officers. So at Central Coast Lending, we sort of have this culture of making everybody start, uh, not everybody, but as many people as possible. We want to start you in the operations side because then when you go become a loan officer, you have all those tools. You're going to do it right. Um, so you've been a pretty effective loan officer on account of you had those years of experience of of seeing all of the pitfalls and problems and I see it paying dividends now in your origination career. Um, so that being said, Anthony has the uh, the title in our office as the uh, vice president. What's the what's the the funny title we give? It's not a real title, but uh, we we joke about it. Maybe it just takes different states for the yeah. It's he's the he's the vice president of manufactured. <laughs> Uh, home, mobile home, um, operations and lending. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Um, basically Anthony, you know, being a new loan officer, he spent quite a bit of time figuring out, um, basically how to do loans that a, a lot of seasoned loan officers might turn their nose up to is those tough to do loans or those tough to finance properties. Those first time home buyers that have credit, issues or asset issues. They have job issues. Um, those, uh, Anthony's never been a stranger to rolling up sleeves and getting right down in the mud with somebody that really needs somebody that's willing to help them and provide, um, some expertise. You know, as long as somebody's coachable, we could probably eventually get them into a loan. Yeah. I always say with the resources that Dan outfits the company, I never hesitate to tell people, if you are Linda Bull, we can do a loan for you. If you're not Linda Bull, there's not an institution around that can help you. Uh, we've got a we've got all of the the outlets and products and abilities in our company that are out there. And so, yeah, if you're Linda Bull, we can help you out with it. You know, that's really helped me over the past like year and a half too is just getting in front of the realtors and did I say that right? Yeah, that was good enough. And um, just, you know, offering that service and just being able to tell them, look, when when you have something that nobody else can do or is going to be a problem for you, or you have a borrower who just isn't ready right now and needs help getting ready, send it to me. I mean, this, this month, my pipeline is filled up with loans that I've been cultivating for a year and a half. You know, yeah. every single one of my loans right now is, I've known these guys for more than 12 months. When I first transitioned into full-time loan officer, that was kind of my approach too. I went around to the realtors and I just said, hey, I let's be honest with each other. Is um you have a person that you give these business all these loans to, this business is going somewhere today, not to me, and I want it. But I recognize unless your person dies you know, quits or screws something up royally, you're not just going to start giving me your good business. So give me that junk. 
Give me that stuff that everybody's basically given up on or that borrower that failed the prequal with somebody else or your denied loan from that last bank that just couldn't do it because their credit score was too low or their DTI was too high or their porridge was just right. You know, whatever it is, let me have it and I'll and I'll I'm a miracle worker. Um and then, you know, over time I ended up having to have conversations with those real estate agents of okay, look. I'm not going to be your ambulance only. You have to let me do some well baby checkups too. <laughs> I need some loans that aren't hairy. I need some loans that are that are like not running us all through the stress mill on a daily basis, but um, you know. So, you know, that being said, I told Dan, I guess it was just last week that my idea for the show over the next few weeks here was to um, spend some time getting into some of these different products. And to that end, um, you are, because you're so willing to get in the trenches and help people um, that that need this kind of help, um, have been making it a point of learning about all of the loan programs that are out there and understanding how to wield them. And so um, what I wanted to talk about today, we have Anthony on the show today to talk about down payment assistance. And, uh, you know, I want to, I want to preface this segment with everybody to, to say that um, real estate's so expensive today, isn't it? I mean, $500,000 might, it's not uncommon for somebody's first time home purchase in California. And if you think you need to save 20%, that's a hundred thousand bucks. That's extremely difficult. And you know, not all of us grew up with uh, really rich relatives that would give us a hundred thousand dollar gift. I mean, that that's really not the norm. We don't see that. Um, so that being said, when you're trying to scrape together the funds to make a down payment to be able to get into a house, um, sometimes people don't have that money and they don't have that money for a variety of reasons. My experience tells me that, um, you know, like last week, I, I'm working with a first time home buyer right now who doesn't have a lot of money to put down um, because he went to college sort of coming out of that phase and been paying, playing catch up, paying off all the bills, paying off all the debt that it took to go to college. And so now six years on the job and finally snuff with all of that hangover legacy of the debt and bills from college has good income, but doesn't have, hasn't been able to save 50,000 bucks. He use it to pay off all the bills. Doesn't have a car payment. Doesn't have credit card debt. Doesn't have student loans anymore. Took care of everything. And it's like, all right, the next piece for me is buying a house. So this is the perfect, you know, because I know when we start talking about down payment, some of the the grouchy people are going to say, well, if you don't have any savings and you shouldn't be buying a house anyway. Um, fine. We hear you. Um, like I said, there's great examples of people that don't have a down payment for a variety of reasons. And it doesn't mean that they're not good borrowers. So, um, you know, here's the need for some of the down payment stuff, the down payment assistance. So uh, today's segment, we have Anthony on, who's going to talk a little bit about down payment assistance programs and bring people uh, up to snuff. If you already own a house, this conversation may not be specifically relevant to you, but 
you got a coworker or an employee of yours, you got a grandson or a granddaughter, um, you've got uh, neighbors. There's a, you cross paths all the time with people that are good people. They just don't have that down payment yet, and they're trying to come up with a plan. And so this is where this dialogue begins, is what opportunities are there for these people that don't have a down payment yet but are looking to get a plan together to get going on uh, that dream of home ownership? So, yeah, um, traditionally, like, the the California Home Buyers Down Payment Assistance Program, like, they call it CHADAP, but um, it was like a, like a silent second or like a junior loan. And um, we... We used to offer that, and I think we still may offer that program, but it's just not its not the best option today. Um, right now, we have what's called the Sapphire Grant Program, which is essentially free money. So it, it's um, – and, and there's a couple different versions of this. You can get 4.5% towards your closing costs and down payment, or you can get 3% towards your closing costs and down payment, but it, it's um, there's no repayment necessary. And, and and it works for either conventional loans or FHA loans or um, even USDA loans and VA loans. You know, those are zero down payment programs. But um, the cool thing about this is that it's it's just a it's there's one interest rate. It doesn't matter what your credit score is, uh, as long as you fit the qualifications. Um, and and with this program, I mean, you're talking about like so, credit scores as low as yeah. And just just backing up real quick to make sure that everyone's tracking with us. When we talk about like a conventional loan or an FHA loan, on conventional, the minimum down payment that we see is three percent down. Right. So if you can partner that with a program like this, that will give you up to four and a half percent of funds towards your down payment and closing costs. I mean, you can almost sneak into one of these things with no money out of pocket, right? Really, you can. Um, and so, yeah, you think about 4.5% down, and you think, wow, that's you know the 3% down plus an extra 1.5% towards closing costs. But the little caveat in this is that uh, the there's an origination charge, because this is actually a brokered deal. This is like one of our brokered loans. Sure. Um, and they they ask that we charge 1.5% of uh, borrower-paid origination fees. So traditionally what that means is that the borrower has to come out of pocket with a 1.5%. So if you do like the conventional loan, you can put 3% down and then use the extra 1.5% to pay your your origination fees. Right. Great. No out-of-pocket except for closing costs. Well, uh, there, this loan doesn't afford us the opportunity to increase the interest rate to offer a higher closing cost credit. Right. So we're stuck with that 4.75%, you know, interest rate at a four and a half percent grant. So what you then have to do is structure your purchase agreement a little bit differently. Hey, maybe we're going to offer a little bit more and get a little bit of a seller credit in place or to cover all of our closing costs. Sure. So bump bump the purchase price by five grand and there you go. No out of pocket fees. There's a there's kind of a lot of a lot of stuff in there that um, I don't want to just to just gloss over real okay. quick. And so let's let's go back and just make sure everybody's tracking is um, what Anthony mentioned a minute ago about the interest rate um, being fixed is when one of the strategies we have absent of this down payment program is if somebody's asset limited, you know, like let's say for example. The down payment requirement for the program is 3%. 
okay, and you put in your 3%, and let's just say that's $20,000, and you have $20,000. That's it. Every penny to your name available to this transaction is going to be utilized by the down payment in its entirety. Um, when we do loans, whether it's a purchase loan or a refinance loan, generally speaking, you're going to have um, interest rate choices where you can elect to take a higher interest rate that will come with a closing cost credit. Everybody's familiar with this idea of points where you you pay points, which are percentage points. It's, it's a shame that these terms are a little bit more vague, but you can pay a percentage of your loan amount to buy your interest rate down into a lower interest rate, which would lower your payment um, and save you money over time. The opposite is also true. A person can elect to take a higher interest rate that would generate a closing cost credit or negative points, if that's a little bit easier to understand. And then that closing cost credit would literally offset the fees in the transaction. So kind of tying, closing the loop here, if somebody had 20,000 bucks and their down payment requirement was $20,000, they could elect to take a slightly higher interest rate to cover their closing costs so that they could still do that transaction even though they only have 20 grand. On the down payment assistance program, there's not an opportunity to raise the interest rate to create a credit. So you you then are going to be sort of hands tied to what's available there. But the bottom line is um, you could get close to covering the cost of the deal, uh, but you could ultimately figure out how to put a deal together where you don't have that $20,000 down. And so with the Sapphire grant, they'll give you the $20,000 down and then a little bit more to actually cover the fee of the bank we broker the loan to, um, which is going to lessen the cost of the borrower. So instead of needing $20,000 in available money, this borrower might only need a couple thousand bucks if they qualify for the grant program. Yeah, and even, I mean, I was talking to our account executive earlier this week, and she was explaining to me that she's seen cases where people are getting you know, their entire deposit back if because the loan is structured properly. You know, the purchase agreement structured right and all of the credits are in place and to the point where they will even, you know, put the appraisal on a credit card and get reimbursed for that. At yeah. Closing. So it makes it an opportunity now. I mean, if you're if you're tracking with us, this is an opportunity for people um, to figure out how to get into home ownership um, by way of the grant program without having. You don't need to have tens of thousands of dollars available to you. Right. Um, and, you know, not everybody's going to qualify for this. You, I cut you off a minute ago. You started to mention what, like, minimum credit scores and stuff are. And so, um, you know, this this program, I mean, obviously USDA is a great program, right? I mean, it's zero down, but you have to be a pretty good borrower and you have to be have pretty good ratios to get and it's that. and it's also geographically restricted. Correct. So if you wanted to buy a house over off Ocean Air and Slow, you'll never you can't do that with a USDA loan. You're never going to be able to do that. Right. And and so the Sapphire Grant program, um, there are income restrictions. So they use 115% of the county median income and in Slow County, it's you know eighty seven thousand eight hundred and sixty dollars, um, but 
Whereas, you know, uh, like a USDA program would take the entire household income and apply that, you know, income restriction. The Sapphire Grant program only applies that to the borrowers. So if you have, you know, a husband a and a wife family. and they both make 80 grand a year, but the husband can qualify for this loan by himself, then you just leave the wife off and, and you're fine and this would work out. Um, and And there's other little, you know... Little things in here. I mean, the if you if you're above a a certain credit score, you know, if you're above a six eighty, you're fine. You, there's no real there's nothing holding you back. But once you get below that, you reach benchmark six twenty. You're below a six twenty, or between six twenty and a six eighty, then you have to have uh, a better debt to income ratio. You know. Yeah, um, it gets a little have, bit more restrictive. Yeah, you have to get into manual underwrites. You um, have to have compensating factors and things like that. And so there's there's really a lot once you start getting into that. That's um, that's pretty common too because um, credit score that's between 620 and 680 generally suggests that you had some blemishes on your credit report about two to three years ago. <laughs> so you've been flying straight for a little while now, um, but you're not kind of flawless right and generally speaking to be over 680 you've kept your nose clean for probably the most recent five-year period with sometimes exceptions for minor late payments like you you screwed around when you're on vacation and you you didn't get your visa bill and then somehow you just you didn't pay so you missed one credit card payment that might get you something you know, a, a ding that might make you a 700 if otherwise you would be an 800. But you're not going to find very many 700 credit scores for people that have had collections or bankruptcies or foreclosures that are um, in that recent history. So those things are normal. And um, so as long as we can get, you know, our automated underwriting system to give us an approved eligible on this, it works. Um the, the the great thing about the Sapphire grant program, and there's other, there's like a diamond grant program out there too. And so there's other grant programs and they all have different little features. But the cool thing about this one is that if you do get a refer, which requires a, a manual underwrite, which means that actually an underwriter is going to go in and look at this and, you know, they want tighter debt to incomes, we can still do it with up to like a 40%, uh, 47% back end rate. Wow. So most manual underwrites are going to limit the debt to income ratio to like 40% or less mm -hmm. in some cases. So that's pretty cool. Um, hey, it's 1030 right now. So I want to do a commercial break. Um, we do have some sponsors that help make the show possible. So uh, we got to run these ads and when we get back. We'll talk a little bit more about this and um, probably get into the, the summary part of this stuff. But um, stick around after the short break for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. 
This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. As mortgage experts, we can help you refinance your home or investment property. We can lower your rate, shorten your term, or get rid of your mortgage insurance. Don't miss the opportunity to improve your financial situation. Call Central Coast Lending today. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-396-08. NMLS number 328-358. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. I see you at our kids' Little League games. I bump into you at the grocery store, and it's always fun when we pass each other at Farmer's Market. I'm not a national bank or a faceless website. I'm a local lender, accountable, competitive, and ready to help. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. It's been one week since you looked at me. Cut your head to the side and said I'm angry. Five days since you laughed at me. You're saying get back together, come back and see me. Three days is the living room. You're bringing me back, Jim. I love it. There's a part coming up here that I'm pretty sure Dan could still sing. A little tongue twister fast part with a bunch of weird words. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I don't know. I just had to play it. But it's been one week is kind of the hook. So there we are, right at the beginning of the song. <laughs> That's funny. All right, all right. <laughs> Turn that noise down. All right, there we go. <laughs> this week in the office, um, a song came on. You know, somebody had computer music playing and a song came on that as I heard it, I thought, man, I haven't heard that song in a minute. This is my inside voice. I haven't heard that song in a minute. That was a popular song my senior year of high school. <laughs> and then somebody out in the the bullpen said, oh, this song's taking me back to when I used to ride the bus to third grade. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Slap in the face there, huh? You were in third grade in 1996? Uh, no. Man. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And, of course, my kids my kids always like to point out the things that I used to do back in the 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or the great one, though, as... You guys yeah. well know I get I get roped into doing more of the IT stuff for the company than I want to do, mm-hmm. um, and my knowledge is I'm dangerous at best. I can do a lot of a lot, granted more than most people can, but there gets points regularly when I need like an IT person to come help me. So yeah, my son's having some kind of computer issue and he's all frustrated. This is my he's a freshman in high school, all frustrated. Oh, there's a computer issue. You want me to take a look at it? 
I'm pretty sure I don't need IT help from a 40-year-old. Oh, there's another slap right there, boy. Oh, okay. Okay. Solved his problem in under a minute. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me know next time you need to bring in the fogies to help uh, bring you whippersnappers up to date on how all this fancy electronics work. I had a problem with my GPS, actually, one day, and I had my um, my nephew with me, uh, 12 or 13 at the time, and I was having a problem with it, and he just kept he just pushed a couple of buttons on. It and he goes, "I said, how did you fix that?" He goes, "I don't know, but if you need to have anything fixed, just ask a kid." Yeah, I was because <laughs> they're up on the tech, you know. This vacation home we were staying at last yeah. year had a manual to do everything in the house, from the thermostat yeah. to the, you know, how to operate the washer and dryer. There's a laminated page for each of these things, and when it talked about the Wi-Fi mm-hmm. and like how to run the entertainment system with the DVD player and everything, at the end it basically get down to the bottom of the list, and it said, you know, if, if you've read these steps and are still having trouble. Um, Find the youngest person in your group <laughs> and hand them the remote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what he did. It was amazing. All right. Not always true. <laughs> Not always true. Yeah. I was kind of seeing that when I was watching some of the Senate hearings this week. It was they were talking to these people that were going to be in charge of um, the um, tech security cybersecurity for the U.S. I'm looking at the committee and the interviewers and all these people. I'm like, I really can't help but believe, A, you need some civilian people at this point and probably go find some of those, like, the nerdy young kids that are, like, 15 are going to be the ones. Like, these are the kids that know how to hack all this stuff. Wouldn't it be funny you know, they say Russian hackers and all this stuff. Wouldn't you love to know exactly who these hackers are? And it's going to turn out they're like 12 to 15. They're little nerdy kids in chat rooms that probably don't understand even the significance of what they're being asked to go hack by people that don't know what's going on. Anyway. Man, I am having battery issues today on my laptop. Um I'll turn this back on, but I want to get back on track with you, Anthony. Um, I, I suspect some of the people that are listening start to kind of glaze over. As we are talking about this percentage and these mm-hmm. points and that cost and this rate and that manual versus whatever, I, I suspect there's some people out there that that don't fully track what we're saying. Um, and so I want to I want to go back and, and make sure that we're very clear about this, is that um, the reason you're in here today is that um, you're a helper. You like to help people, and you're looking for um, real estate agents, other professionals, borrowers directly that are interested in learning about a variety of loan programs. Um, I think um, really that what you're after is somebody that appreciates a loan officer that has all of these tools in their bag. That's the takeaway for me. Like we, I, I earlier joked about the the fancy title that we gave you for being the mobile home and manufactured, you know, lender title, fancy title guy about all that stuff. And I, I say that kind of in jest, but the reality is, is that um, manufactured home loans are very difficult to do. Mobile home loans are even harder when you start to get into personal property type of stuff. Not all banks will do them. 
And even within the banks that will do them, there are loan officers that will not do them. Um, and you've always been one of the guys that says, yeah, you know, give me your tired, give me your hungry. Um, and you, and you go and do this, but, um, You've been successful. Somebody might call you looking for a chattel loan on a single wide trailer that turns out to be unlendable, and then you co- coach and help them achieve buying a regular old stick built home. So there's some value in somebody having all of these programs at their fingertips, but also the know how to navigate through them. And then more importantly, well, equally importantly is the desire to be patient with somebody and and sort of if they're coachable to help get them to that part where they could realize home ownership. That's a I, I don't want to um, take anything away from that. That's a really awesome service that you provide. And um, it's it's you know, Dan and I are always grateful for you um, and in the company, you play a critical role in that is that you are always willing to to work with those people and help them. And so the going back, I mean, that's the greater message of what we're trying to get out there today. But going back to it um, more generically, there's a down payment assistance program out there. There's some technical stuff to it. You're going to handle the technical stuff. Mm-hmm. And really what you need is for people to know that this is available it's an opportunity, and they can get to this stuff if they if they give a call and want to venture into it. And, and really, that that is the key. I mean, we have so many programs available that you may not you may come in the door looking for you know the Sapphire Grant. You, you know, our marketing department does a great job with our search words and our SEO and stuff like that, and. Um, so people just type in Sapphire Grant Program, and we're usually like in the top three. So I get a lot of calls on this. People aren't always necessarily qualified for this, but we can always find a program that fits their needs. And if not, to get them on a path where they are going to be able to do something. Right, and sometimes it's not a short path. Sometimes it's not something that we do in a month or two or three, but um, I regularly talk about you know, to realtors about getting their clients on like a, a one-year, five-year plan. You know, something in there is will eventually get them as long as they do what needs to be done. Like I said earlier, they're if they're coachable, right? Yep. They want to improve their credit. They want to do the things. And and I'm not talking about like a credit repair service where you pay somebody a thousand dollars per trade line to, you know, improve your credit score. I'm talking about you know you look at your credit report, you analyze it, you see what we can pay off versus what we should just kind of, you know, let be for now and where we can get the most bang for your buck and, and credit score improvement. I mean, we have the software that does that for us. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to go back and just reiterate it again. It's not only is it that software, but it's that desire Mm -hmm. to, to get into the weeds with somebody and help them figure out how to, to change the reality. I mean, one of the things you guys got to remember, um, somebody like Anthony, for example, um, Anthony doesn't have a base salary. Anthony doesn't get paid an hourly rate for kind of showing up and phoning it in. This is a dude that um, shows up every single day, and now we know even on Saturdays, um, he gets paid when he's 100% successful at closing a loan for somebody. So this is another thing. I mean, I I always like to 
show you the the compare and contrast to how we're going to stack up to one of the companies, you know, like, you know, Wells Fargo, they're my go-to to pick on, I guess, but everybody knows who they are. They've got salaried loan officers in there, you know? So you, you end up in a position where um, these kinds of loans or these borrowers that are a work in progress. They're hard. They're hard. And you're going to end up getting down in the weeds with someone. And if you're not up for that, um, th- this is one of the awesome things about our company um, is, like I said, our loan officers, are they're, they're paid when they're successful at getting you a loan. So that's the kind of tenacity you need when you're trying to put, you know, what might at at least at the onset look like a round peg into the square hole. <laughs> we might need to whittle this, but the good news is I brought a pocket knife, you know. It's sometimes it's more like a a round peg and like a 36-pointed star hole. <laughs> I had a record um I'd have to go back and revisit it again, but I I had a record time that I spent with a couple um, it was just over three years. They were, um, and man, the saga, I can give you guys the Reader's Digest version of it, but the, an awesome couple here in town, husband and wife, they both worked, and um, they came in to get a loan. Husband had a pretty good job, but not enough to qualify on his own. Wife had a job to help, but abysmal credit. I mean, late payments, collections, problems, and rarely were these these problems were um, not, they morphed. In the beginning, it was just misuse of credit card, like used credit cards for all kinds of things and then just realized, man, it takes a long time to pay back $10,000 worth of credit card debt. Um, and then along the way, late payments, so then you have the um, those interest rates that go to like 30%, the like default interest rate, all this thing, right? So anyway, we got a plan, got them on a path. They paid down the credit cards. Um, okay, now come on in. I do an updated credit report, and together they've got the 620 credit needed. All right, here's your prequal letter. Go find the house. In between finding the house, they come back. Um Two more late payments on the credit, like, you know, 60 days later. So we needed a new credit report. Two more late payments now. Credit score is like a 559, like no hope, Bill. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And and for a second there, I felt like I wished I could just disappear because I had to tell them, husband and wife, that this problem sort of resurfaced and then watch them slug it out with, like, wife in tears and I didn't want to be in the room anymore while they sorted that moment out. But anyhow, we got back on track, came up with a new plan. They took care of it again. Uh, we were able to to get it all sorted out. And from the day I met them to the day it all worked and they bought a house, it was just over three years. And um, they were so stoked. I mean, if they thought that they were never going to get it to work. and um, And I mean, I helped them. For a few reasons. Number one was I I really wanted to be able to help them because I at that point I had invested so much energy into it that I like I'm like, I can't have worked with you guys for two and a half years to have it fall apart today. So we're getting this back on track now for me. 
And then, um, but at the same time, they were really, really awesome people. And so, I mean, that was a few years ago now, and I keep in touch with them just on Facebook, but they're stoked owning a house and things are going good. And now they've built equity and things are, you know, so it's nice to be a part of something like that. Um, and I always tell people today, like the, the open cattle call that I give to all the listeners today is, um, it's never too early to plan for your future. I know that sounds cliche, but whatever it is, if it's a plan that you have, a goal that you have, and it's somewhere out there, it's never too early to start that dialogue and at least start understanding where you are on the spectrum. You know, like you, you, you mentioned a minute ago, it's people need to come in and just get their credit report looked at and get the straight talk about what they need to do, thresholds they need to hit. Do you want to pay off that collection? Sometimes, no, you don't. That's a crazy thing for some people are hearing us say, don't pay off that collection. If you pay off a six-year-old collection for $19, it brings it forward to today. Now it's a collection settled as of 2017, and it was better left as an old, outdated collection that was about to fall off due to time anyway. Um, but So that's the thing is you need to know where you are. And, you know, people say, well, I'm not ready. I'm saving for a down payment. And I always say, well, I get that. But why don't you come in and then we can talk about things like this grant program, these other options that you don't know exist because when you're off doing your job, you know, whatever it is, working IT for the county or whatever you do, doesn't matter. Whatever those things are, you're not a loan officer. Don't qualify yourself. Don't assume that, oh, I'm going to buy a house in 2020. That's my goal. So you're going to show up on my doorstep, you know, in November of 2019. That's flawed logic. Come see me today. Let's get you on a path today. The other, the other funny thing about that, too, is oftentimes people will go, okay, no, I heard you. I got it. And they come in today and we go through all the thing. And then next week they're like, so we found a house and we'd really like a prequel. Right. That happens so often. <laughs> Just last week, one of my little brothers, he lives down in um, San Bernardino. My little brother's buddies, childhood friend calls up and said, hey, your brother told me to give you a call because my girlfriend and I are considering buying a house. And I mean, it's no rush. We know this is going to take time. It's a whole, it's off in the future, but we just, we need to start somewhere and, and we're going to start now. And I'm, it was a week. It took a week. They're writing pre, I'm writing pre-approval letters for them as they're out writing offers because it was finally revealed to them that they qualify now. Um, that it is a pretty good time to buy in terms of interest rates and, you know, programs like these that are available. And so they thought they were a few years out and just getting ready. And it was revealed to them that it's go time now, if you're interested, you know, and I'm, I'm not pushing them into it. I don't, it, I don't really, um, whether you buy a house with me this month or in three years, I'll still be in business in three years. So I don't really care. Um, we can have a lot of dialogue about what the pros and cons are of waiting three years, but, um, you know, point being, it's a good time to, to find out where you are. If you think owning a house is on the horizon, let's start working on it. Let's talk about it get you up to speed. There's some education you need. Same thing. You know, some people that are listening today, have, they've had a dream of owning a, a little cabin up in the woods in Tahoe. There's a little second home to go sneak away to for weekends and holidays. Um, same thing. That's a why not come in and figure out where you are or that rental property. People are, you know, I've always wanted to have a rental property or I've thought about 
next year I want to make my primary a rental and buy a new primary. Um, so, you know, when you, when you look at those things, it's like, may as well come in today. Let's, let's start talking about what, what it is. What's the path? What do you need to do? Is the credit good? Is there any surprises? What should you anticipate for saving and budget? And sometimes people are getting gift funds and there's maximum annual gifts that you can get, or, you know, I had a loan officer this week was telling me about a borrower he worked with that had a Three months ago, instead of getting a raise, the boss gave him an auto allowance of 800 bucks a month. That's cool, right? Who doesn't want that? Um, we couldn't count it. It's three months old. So we ended up counseling this borrower. It's like, hey, that's a pretty sweet deal. But really what you need to do is go back to your boss and explain to your boss that the auto allowance isn't going to help you qualify for this loan. And would they be so kind as to remove the auto allowance and give you a raise to your base salary? And thankfully, the boss agreed and changed the pay structure to the salary that could be counted in home qualification. Those are the little tweaks we want to do by having you come in and uh, get get pre-qualified. Start learning about what what your possibilities are, what can you do, what can you work on, what do you need to fix, all that stuff. Mr. Anthony? Jason? Final thoughts? Um, just a little recap i mean 620 minimum credit score for this program which isn't terribly high but it's not terribly low either and and for the realtors out there listening this this program isn't you know a, a 60 day escrow or a 90 day escrow these these programs are done in 30 to 45 days as well so if you see one of these come across your desk in an offer or you know fr- with your buyers coming to you and saying hey we want to do the sapphire grant don't be scared of it you know embrace it it'll be fine we'll make it work i think one of the big positives about this program there's obvious positives for the home buyer you know Mm -hmm. being able to buy a home with with assistance really no money out of pocket all that kind of great stuff for the buyer this is a loan program that we can actually do and close there's other down payment assistance opportunities out there but it's a lot of my opinions that it's a lot of hoopla and stuff but it's hard to get them like there's for instance there's a san luis obispo county first-time homebuyers program it's great it's hard to get the funds become available once a year you have to go through education you have to be at the right place at the right time with the education completed, with your name on the wait list, and hopefully you're one of the handful of people that before the funds before evaporate, the funds run out. They run yeah. out immediately. I mean, almost immediately. January third. So, you know, there's there's a lot of programs out there, but the funds get gobbled up quickly, or the program's just hard to navigate, or you know, like I was looking at the Chidap program that you had mentioned earlier. They've they restructured their whole program about a year ago. It used to be a a, a silent second and and this and now it's it's completely different. So this Sapphire program that you've been talking about, it's an actual program that we've closed recently. So we know that it works. We know that it's available. Funds don't seem to run out on it. It's not. We don't get notices throughout the year that hey funds are out or anything like that. This is a program that's that's there it's available it's there year round and and it is a good program to get people um into their their first home it pairs with 
conventional FHA, USDA. It's it's just a it's a great it's it's a great program. It's a realistic program. I think is even more important. And, and then just <clears throat> the other thing is that the investor that we broker this loan to, um, our account executive is she runs this program. So she's got a wealth of knowledge that she's, you know, a phone call away and really is super helpful. So even the trickiest of tricky deals, you know, we have the support for. Yeah, that's important. So yeah, it's, um, you know, you, you hear a lot of lenders out there talking about these down payment assistance programs and they might not have real recent experience it might be a great opportunity to talk about something unique get into doors and stuff but we actually do these loans we actually close these loans and um, it's not just a good talking point it's something that we're well versed in and if if there's issues that are very specific and technical and and you know the answer's not obvious we've got the the resources to make sure that we're giving the right advice and and um, getting you on the path to home ownership. That's what it's all about. Thanks for joining us today, Anthony, and yeah, thanks for sharing this information. Are you going to be back talking about more loan programs in the future? Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, I've got uh, all of all of the programs. I mean, I'm hoping to get that uh, you know one time close back eventually. And as soon as that hits, <laughs> you can count me in. Okay. <laughs> the other the other kind of self serving thing that happened today. My, one of my goals today was actually now that Anthony knows where the radio station is, <laughs> right? <laughs> he knows what it entails to come here and talk for two hours. He's now on the roster of available substitutes for uh, would be future shows so that, um, you know, we can get back on track of remember when we, a couple years ago, we talked about setting it up to where we could, each of us could get one weekend off a month. Mm hmm. That doesn't always happen. And it usually, you know, it takes a trip or something is forcing you out of town. So you're like, sorry, I really I have to go. Um, so it, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't you love like a weekend off where you could just stay at your house and not be on the run? Yeah. Just a Saturday morning where yeah. you could just stay I there? I almost called in sick today. <laughs> it would have been a pretty good day to do so. In fact, when I pulled up and I didn't see your truck, I thought, man, I know you didn't know for sure that Anthony was coming today, but I thought, man, if, if he doesn't show up, at least I have a wingman here to, to make a run at this thing. There um, you go. <laughs> so yeah, now we're going to, yeah. now we have Anthony on the roster of available Saturday subs. So that's a, thank you for that. Yeah. And again, it was <laughs> nice to, it was nice to finally meet Anthony too. Know, I've worked Jim with him on the show years, for a couple of years now. Yeah, I you know, actually met Fed face to face. It's not something that I I hide or shy away from, but Anthony's also my brother-in-law. And um, oh. you know, it's a it's been an awesome thing to get to work together um and and spend as much time together as we have and um you know, the other I can just tell you if any of you guys are listening today and you're you you're um compelled or almost close to compelled enough to give a call um, Anthony's a really personable and approachable guy. And, um, I, I always enjoy seeing and hearing the interactions that he has with his clients because it's very, it, it's, it's sort of like the company culture we have. It's absent of the posturing. It's absent of the, you know, kind of being fancy with the, the tight tie and, you know, all the, the sort of unapproachable nature that I think you get out of a lot of financial professionals. This is the guy that, he knows his stuff, but he's also incredibly approachable. Um, and like I said before, uh, interested and willing to help. And, and um, 
that's a that's a refreshing thing. So thanks again, Anthony, for coming on today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. So if you guys want to get that help, give us a call this week. One number rings all of our offices. It's 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. Um, and when you call, you can use the the auto directory to find Anthony's extension. Uh, which extension are you? 232. 232. Damn, I don't even know um, my own extension. 232 will get you right to him today. Um, and then otherwise, find us on the web at centralcoastlending.com. You could also see Anthony's bio there. So um, thanks a bunch for listening today, guys. If you have any loan needs at all or you're ready to get planning for your future, let us help you with that. Give us a call or track us down. Have a great week. We'll be back next week with another live episode of Mortgage Matters.